0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Moran. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. This is going to be our pre-election special program, where in our second segment we will talk to a couple of old friends, our designated liberal, Mr. Alan Stanton, as well as his conservative counterpart, Mr. David Lowell Mather. That should be fun. Stay tuned for that in segment two, at which time we will discuss these propositions that are coming before the electorate uh, on next Tuesday in some detail and hopefully with some amusement. To commence in what has become our standard fashion, we would note that on this day in history in 1863, J.T. Alden won a U.S. patent for a method to preserve yeast in dried granular form. Also on this date in 1952, American uh, inventiveness uh, came to the fore when frozen food pioneer Clarence Birdseye introduced the first frozen peas. And on this date in 1957, a, a memorable day in the history of space exploration and an infamous day in the history of animal rights, Sputnik 2 was launched by the Soviet Union containing a live dog, Laika, who had previously lived as a stray in the Moscow streets before being enlisted into the Soviet space program. In what, one of the hallmarks of communism, uh, the dog Laika was made a hero of the Soviet Union. Unfortunately, the uh, people who sent her into space made no provision to bring her back safely, and Laika orbited the Earth until. Her batteries ran out in the life support system, where she expired, and I believe is still orbiting. As I say, it's a rather infamous day in the history of the animal rights movement. Our quote of the day comes from Winston Churchill, who once said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all other forms that have been tried. And uh, since in segment two we're going to speak with a liberal and a conservative, I think we should add two more quotes of the day. The first being from Robert Frost, who once remarked about liberals that a liberal is a man so broad-minded, he won't take his own side in an argument. As for conservatives, we'd like to quote former President Woodrow Wilson, who once said that a conservative is a man who sits and thinks. Mostly, sits. And our joke of the day comes from Kevin, who noted that uh, a man in Ireland... Heard that uh, an old farmer had passed away, so he went across town to pay his respects. The man's widow thanked the neighbor for coming in and said, Ah, twas the drink that killed him. The man asked, well, couldn't he have gone to AA? His wife said, he wasn't that bad. I'm going. And our statistic of the day comes from U.S. News & World Report, which regrettably dropped UC Davis uh, in its rankings, its university rankings uh, some months ago, from 42nd to 48th in the overall rankings, and from 11th to 14th among, among public institutions. More alarming was the decline in faculty resources ranking, which measures how qualified and competent the teachers are. In that category, UCD took a dramatic turn, uh, falling from 84th in the nation to 215th. This was noted in the Bites column of the Sacramento News and Review some time ago. What's uh, curious about it is that, in fact, a mistake had been made. Uh, One number measuring the percentage of professors who had doctorates, etc., was misreported to the magazine by university employees. That one error was enough to drop us six places, said university spokeswoman Lisa Lappin. What's worse about it is the U.S. news folks told the UC Davis people the numbers didn't look right and should be reviewed. But nobody at the university followed up. The person who had that responsibility didn't understand the significance of the error, Lappin explained. Uh, (laughs) Sad story. The Bytes columnist noted that uh, some concern about the hapless office worker who decided that um, that little number wasn't worth double checking. On the positive side, uh, the employee has apparently mastered the phrase, would you like fries with that? Now, the current issue of the Atlantic Monthly has quite a review of, uh, you know, Is There Life After Rankings, uh, title of the article about uh, about things like U.S. News & World Report ranking system. They noted that, uh, that Reed College decided they'd had enough of this kind of nonsense and were not going to participate. For my money, I always find the idea of uh, ranking colleges or ranking hospitals or ranking whatever institution, uh, according to these surveys, uh, about as meaningful in the long run as uh, publishing a survey about what the best colors are out there, according to uh, leading experts. <laughs> let's do our good week for bad week four with the week magazine and and some others of our own the magazine noted that uh, last week was a good week for claustrophobic pets after the city of rome italy banned small spherical goldfish bowls for lacking sufficient room for their inhabitants they also made daily dog walking mandatory the magazine ranked it a bad week for Great Escapes after the getaway car backed up over an armed robber in Milwaukee. As the robber tried to limp away, a witness to the crime used her car to ram him four times. When the bleeding thief tried to pull a gun from his pocket, he shot himself in the leg. If it wasn't bad enough, I wouldn't have no luck. Radio Parallax would also like to rank this week a, um, a good week for seeing the bright side of things. When it was noted that uh, Woody Allen, now uh, approaching seven years of age, noted that the infamous sex scandal uh, of 1992 was, quote, my luckiest break, unquote. But we're not sure how it is. Woody views uh, the scandal that wrecked his long-term relationship with actress Mia Farrow and led to his marriage to her adopted daughter as one of the luckiest events in his life. But, uh, you know, if he can put the positive spin on it and stick with it, well, more power to him. We would also note it was a bad week for a sense of humor. Uh, Last week, when the Hershey Company, uh, Hershey, maker of Milk Duds candy, decided to try and stop a California company from using a sound-alike name for a line of clothing designed to make breastfeeding easier. Hershey said in a complaint to the US Patent and Trademark Office that the name of the Milk Duds nursing wear is confusingly similar to the name of the round chocolate-covered caramels which Hershey sells. Kirsten Wall, who co-founded Milk Duds, uh, said the Temecula company would fight any name change and that Hershey had a trademark only for candy, not clothing. It's not like we'd be right next to them in the candy aisle. We're in boutiques. Wall told the the Patriot News of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, we're not anywhere close to competing with Hershey's. We, uh, we would like to point out that if you go out tonight uh, around, uh, well, just after sunset, really, and look to the east, you will see a stunning bright yellow star, which, of course, is not a star at all. It is the planet Mars, making the closest pass to the Earth that it will make for the next 18 years. It's really something to see, and we hope that you'll go out um, in the next few nights and uh, take a look. That's uh, no relation, by the way, to the Mars Candy Bar Company. As you uh, no doubt noticed, uh, George W. Bush was having the worst week of his presidency last week with his popularity reeling in the wake of Hurricane Katrina and uh, the ill-fated Harriet Myers nomination. On Friday, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, special prosecutor, uh, indicted Louis Scooter Libby, Dick Cheney's uh, chief of staff, on five felony counts as related to lying. To a grand jury and obstructing justice regarding the Valerie Plame outing. Uh, this is a serious matter for the president, but of course, uh, what's still hanging over his head like the sword of Damocles is the possible indictment of Carl Rove for his role in the scandal. Patrick Fitzgerald said that his investigation was not quite done, and uh, people in the nation's capital wonder whether the mysterious official A. Who played a role and who has remained unnamed uh, is not, in fact, Mr. Rove. And um, if, if Karl Rove gets indicted or has to resign, uh, this is going to be a very, very bleak day for George W. Bush. Although I would hasten to add, not necessarily for the country. And of course, the opinions that you hear on this program are mine alone and not necessarily reflect those of the station our sponsors, or the University of California at Davis. We'd like to cite uh, Fred Kaplan's opinion from Slate.com, who noted that George Bush might want to try listening to some of his critics at this point, given that to even erstwhile loyalists are now admitting that uh, Bush has, uh, has naive, ideology-driven notions about the world, and that he is surrounded by sycophants who give him only rosy, best-case scenarios. In, in that regard, we would highly recommend that you get a copy of The New Yorker currently on stands, the October 31st issue for the article about uh, Brent Scowcroft. General Scowcroft, uh, the national security advisor to the first President Bush, um, has been frozen out of the current administration because he takes a rather uh, dim view of so much of what has transpired. In The New Yorker, Scowcroft derides Bush Jr.'s evangelical belief that he can turn the Mideast into a bastion of democracy through warfare. The president's own father has been suggesting that the present White House needs a reality check. In that same New Yorker interview, George Herbert Walker Bush praised Scowcroft as someone I can depend on to tell me what I need to know and not just what I want to hear. Again, an excellent article Uh, in it, it refers to the Wall Street Journal article that Scowcroft uh, had published in August of 2002, seven months before the invasion of Iraq, in which he argued that an invasion of Iraq would deflect American attention from the war on terrorism, and that it would do nothing to solve the conflict between the Palestinians and Israelis, which he's long believed is the primary source of unhappiness in the Middle East. Unlike the current Bush administration, which is unambiguously pro-Israel, Scowcroft, James Baker, and others associated with the elder George Bush believed that Israel's settlement policies arose Arab anger and that American foreign policy should reflect the fact that there are far more Arabs than Israelis in the world. Now, I hadn't realized that Scowcroft was pretty much the man that brought Condoleezza Rice to the attention of the first Bush administration when she was a political science professor at Stanford. Scowcroft hired her to serve as the Soviet expert on the National Security Council. Uh, in the wake of his Wall Street Journal article, Rice telephoned Scowcroft, according to several people with knowledge of the call, and said, How could you do this to us? What bothered Brent more than Condi kind of yelling at him, said the article, was the fact that here she is, the National Security Advisor, and she's not interested in hearing what a former National Security Advisor had to say. And um, speaking of arch-conservatives, neocons and the like, and, and the, the political coalition that's uh, done so well by the current presidency. Uh, I was rather surprised to find that the documentary, March of the Penguins, which we, you know, we think very highly, we gave an excellent review on the show, we'd encourage you to see it. This apparently is drawing Christian conservatives into theaters like no movie since The Passion of the Christ. The film follows the group of flightless birds resolutely waddling across the frozen waste to their breeding ground, and, um, and people are reading all sorts of things into it about lessons in monogamy, family values, and the nobility of self-sacrifice. Apparently a Jill Stanek writing in worldnetdaily.com said that with nearly every scene, it verifies the beauty of life and the rightness of protecting it. I only hope she said that lusting, self-centered males and militant feminists see it too. Male penguins, they'll note, don't run out on their families to chase new tail. And the women don't abort their babies because it's inconvenient to raise them. Sometimes I wish humans would behave more like animals. (laughs) Well, I I cannot resist pointing out, as one who received a degree in biological sciences from this very institution here at UCD, that, uh, that the biology of this... In terms of drawing parallels to uh, moral parallels to to exemplary human behavior, well, they're, this is going to fall a bit short. Uh, as the movie points out, although the penguins do, uh, do mate for the year, at the end of the year, the males go off and find new mates. Aww. Yes, it seems that penguins fall short of being the paragons of family values in many respects, uh, most notably the fact that they are known to engage in homosexual relationships. I- a shame? Feel like rain? A shame? This caused the New York Times to note in the editorial that after a last year breaking the story of Roy and Silo, the two male chin-strap penguins at the Central Park Zoo who pair-bonded and adopted a chick together, if Emperor Penguins are sending us a message about heterosexual marriage, then what are Roy and Silo doing? Hey, that Still more curiously, it was reported last week that Silo had now left Roy for a young female called Scrappy, oh. which led to a round of self congratulatory back patting from the anti gay lobbyists and supporters of traditional family values. You broke my heart when you see said- it. Of course, previously, when these two birds successfully reared a chick from an egg donated by their keepers, uh, they had at that point been a great advertisement for those who support gay marriage. And, uh, and finally, we have to go back to the fact that we had talked about this issue of what penguins were really up to when we cited an article in California Wild magazine last year, which uh, published by the, uh, the, uh, the Academy of Sciences in Golden Gate Park. They noted that, uh, <laughs> that, that penguins have been known to engage in prostitution. And uh, the way it turned out that it worked was that, of course, penguins have to gather stones to keep their eggs off the icy ground, and uh, although some male penguins, you know, may be good providers in other ways, they may not be the best uh, uh, pebble arrangers. So what the females do is take it upon themselves to go out among the other male penguins and actually exchange sexual favors for some of their pebbles. To quote from Jerry George, who wrote about this in the San Francisco Chronicle, the voyeurs who report all of this say it takes one mating and the happy bachelor will let the female take all the pebbles she can carry. They counted one female helping herself to 63 pebbles from one dopey bachelor's nest. All right, to, uh, to summarize as we end, uh, end our first segment today, um, March of the Penguins, excellent movie. You should go and see it if you have not yet done so. And there actually is much in, in penguin behavior that I think humans can find entirely admirable. But whether you're going to use the penguins as role models for exemplary human behavior and try and twist that into some sort of uh, Christian evangelical model Or for that matter, a justification for gay marriage. You know, all that stuff is just... You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS, 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and I will be trying to... uh, To act as referee in our upcoming segment where we will take a look at California's election next week. All of these propositions on the ballot and what to think about them, and how you might want to vote.